Sometimes life can feel like a pressure cooker. From our work life to our personal lives and relationships, there's so much to balance. It's easy to feel weighed down when you're experiencing anxiety, stress, or sadness. Guess what? You are not alone. Support is all around you. No matter where you are, all you need to do is ask. Let us help you find a community at churchescare.com. Churches are communities of care. Go to C-H-U-R-C-H-E-S-Care.com to explore the possibilities. Churchescare.com. From world conflicts to falling financial markets, natural disasters, and more. Wish the headlines would just stop? It's not a newsflash that life can feel like a pressure cooker. From managing work to building relationships, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. And for many of us, anxiety and stress are constant companions. But you are not alone. Support is out there, just waiting to meet you. And you can find it through friendly people at churchescare.com. At churchescare.com, we know that finding your community can feel intimidating. That's why we do the heavy lifting for you. Churchescare.com helps connect people like you to churches that can support and serve you. In your new community, you'll find a group of people ready to talk, listen, and help you navigate life through its twists and turns. All you have to do is come as you are. If you're ready to find your community, visit churchescare.com today. That's C-H-U-R-C-H-E-S care.com. We look forward to serving you. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Welcome everyone to Too Good To Be True, and thank you for taking the time to listen. Before we start, please note that this episode does include details of crimes, including murders. This content may not be suitable for all audiences, so please listen at your own discretion. The subject of today's show is Charles Manson. Before we start getting into details, let's just briefly talk about psychic insight and how we apply it. We choose a subject, then research it, and based on that research, we determine what we think needs to be explained by creating a series of questions. Then Justina provides psychic insight to add to those questions. The psychic insight is narrated towards the end of the show. Accepting the psychic insight is a question of individual belief. Now let's go through the disclaimers. Here are the disclaimers. Neither of us claim to have any expertise in any subjects that we discuss. We relate information we find through research and the psychic insight. We are always delighted to hear from the listeners. The show only lasts an hour. We don't have the time to present exhaustive research on any topic. This means there will be information that we miss. We want to provide a basis for the psychic insight. We don't care if a theory turns out too good to be true, as the show name suggests. We only are interested in finding out more of the truth about topics. Spirit can only relate insight that is appropriate for our time in history. Free will cannot be affected. Only comments that are appropriate for our time can be given through the psychic insight. Much of the subject matter in shows may have already been covered many times in other media. We want to look into subjects in a new, different way and be thought-provoking. We are not so good with pronouncing names. We apologize. And neither of us have any experience in criminal investigation or in psychiatry. In attempting to gain more of the truth, we have tried to provide an overview of the events along with possible theories for why those events occurred. If we have misstated anything, we apologize. Today's subject is Charles Manson, which is your suggestion, not something I want to talk about. He died in prison on November the 19th, 2017, aged 83. He, of course, was the leader of the group that murdered actress Sharon Tate and four others in her home on Cielo Drive in Benedict Canyon on August the 9th, 1969. Sharon Tate was eight and a half months pregnant. I'm not sure if there's anything good to talk about in this episode. I'm going to refer to the murders involving Sharon Tate as one of the victims as the Benedict Canyon murders rather than one of the Manson murders. I thought that it would be interesting to discuss Manson, especially as his death has been in the news and he has been widely discussed. 
Sharon Tate's younger sister, Deborah, was quoted as follows in 2014 on the publication of her book, Remembering Her Sister, and I quote, They're not supernatural. They're not the devil. They're nothing special. They're just little creeps, end quote. I think that quote is the key to this episode. Manson had become an icon for evil, but was he just a warped human being? The unfortunate outcome is that Manson became better known than the victims. The most famous victim, of course, was Sharon Tate, a model and Hollywood actress. A quote from Doris Tate, mother of Sharon Tate, from a popular magazine from 2010 and from other sources, reveals that Doris Tate had a premonition of her daughter's death, and I quote, I saw myself with her in this room, and I was trying to get her out. A man dressed in black was shooting a gun. Mrs. Tate recalled something that happened on the day of the funeral, something that kept her from falling apart. Sharon's casket was closed, she said. I went over to kiss it, and I heard her say as plain as if she was standing besides me, Mother, that's not me. That's what saved my sanity, and that's what gave me strength, because I do believe in life after death. I feel Sharon's presence here in the house, and I'm certain that somewhere, someday, we will be together. End quote. In reality, the killers were dressed in black, and only one man, Charles Watson, used a gun. The premonition proved to be incredibly accurate. Apparently, Doris Tate had contacted a psychic medium after Sharon's murder. Doris passed away in 1992. She had become a strong advocate of victims' rights. She was the first Californian to present a victim impact statement. I'm glad that we're looking at events from the perspective of one of the victims' families. Wasn't Sharon Tate married to a Hollywood director? Yes, Roman Polanski, who was at the height of his fame at the time. He had directed and co-written the movie Rosemary's Baby in 1968. The story was from the book authored by Ira Levin. The movie deals with the occult and was largely set in an apartment building located near Central Park in New York. The real building used in the movie was the later was uh, the site later of ex-Beatle John Lennon's murder in 1980. Polanski fled, to the, uh, f fled from the United States in 1978, the day before being sentenced after drugging and raping a 13-year-old girl in 1977. Polanski has never returned to the United States as the charges are still pending. The crime was committed in the house of a well-known Hollywood actor who was away at the time. As a strange coincidence, the same Hollywood actor was apparently admitted to Polanski's home on CLO Drive by the police following the murders committed there to reportedly help with the cleaning up. That in itself seems odd, especially uh, that as not much was cleaned up subsequently, even by the landlord who saw the house as something of an exhibit. I didn't know all of that occurred in the background. It was way before my time. I guess you may recall some of the headlines. I was too young at the time to remember very much of, or be affected by it, but in 1969, the Vietnam War was continuing with a record number of U.S. troops involved. Anti-Vietnam War protests were raging, including invasion of college campuses. Woodstock happened just days before the series of murders. Uh, sorry, just days after the series of murders. There was so much going on at the time, including civil unrest exploding in Northern Ireland. Hippies and the hippie counterculture were going strong. The United States was being torn apart by social unrest. Martin Luther King had been assassinated the year before in 1968. The first moon landing occurred on July the 20th, 1969, only a few days before the murders. But most of my knowledge of the era is retrospective. It all seemed a bit of a blur at the time. But I do recall at the time seeing the frightening face of Charles Manson on television. Who were the other victims when Sharon Tate was murdered? Besides Sharon Tate and her unborn child, there were the following vi victims. Jay Sebring, 35, a Hollywood hairdresser. Wojtek Frykowski, 32, a friend of Polanski's. Abigail Folger, 25, the heir to the Folger coffee fortune. Stephen Parent, 18, who was visiting the resident of a guest house on the estate and not associated with the others, being murdered in a different location. Pro uh, prosecutor Vincent Bugliosi, who prosecuted Manson and his followers, co-authored a book called Helter Skelter, 
about investigation, arrest and prosecution of the so-called Manson family. Helter Skelter was also the name of a track from the double album The Beatles released in 1968. The double album is also known as the White Album. The words Helter Skelter were not written in blood at the scene of the Benedict Cannon murders, but the word pig was written in blood on the front door. The words Helter Skelter were written in blood at the scene of the Le Bianca murders on the following day. What does Helter Skelter mean? And did Manson like the Beatles song? Helter Skelter means disorder or confusion, and it is rather an archaic term. It apparently came from a fairground ride where you climb up the inside of a wooden tower and slide down a spiral ride on the outside. Apparently, Manson blamed the Beatles track when arrested, claiming it had a subliminal message that was behind the killings. Uh, the track is a precursor to heavy metal with Paul McCartney screaming the lyrics. The Lennon and McCartney song was all Paul, according to John Lennon. Uh, a lot of music critics found the track to be distasteful. It was a supposed attempt by McCartney to be louder and more ridiculous than the group The Who. Drummer Ringo Starr complained about getting blisters on his fingers when recording increasingly loud versions of the track. There seems to be connections to both popular music and Hollywood, with Sharon Tate being a rising star. Those connections probably helped sales of the book Helter Skelter, which became the best-selling true crime book in history. Also, two movies have been made from the book. Manson, when not committing crimes, had ambitions to become a singer-songwriter. He befriended Beach Boys drummer Dennis Wilson after he was introduced to him by the late Gary Hinman. We'll talk more about Hinman's murder a little later. Apparently, the Beach Boys recorded one track that was reworked, but originally written by Manson, who didn't get credited with it. So how did Manson recruit his followers and what was their lifestyle? There are really two versions. Uh, the version of Manson, the cult leader, is presented in the book Helter Skelter, or Manson, the petty crook and hustler, presented by the sources. Here is a quote from the article, The Manson Myth, on the website Crime Magazine. Quote, at the time of the murders, Manson was a destitute parolee living in a hand-to-mouth existence at Span Ranch, a place that once served as a movie set for cowboy flicks and was then functioning as a dude ranch. He and 15 to 20 other drifters with whom he associated had been allowed to live on the premises by its 80-year-old owner, George Spann, in exchange for helping out with the chores like shoveling horse manure and sexual favours freely provided by some of the young women. The group habitually ate food that its females catch from dumpsters. A combination of panhandling, petty thievery and drug dealing also helped them survive and support their primary pastimes, smoking marijuana, and dropping acid, making music, and idly conversing, unquote. The Span, spelled S-P-A-H-N, ranch is located in Chatsworth in Los Angeles County, California. Television Western series such as Bonanza and Lone Ranger were filmed there, but by the late 1960s, Western series were no longer popular and the ranch had lost its place in the world. This hardly sounds like an organized cult, especially with food scavenged from garbage. It sounds like some drifters had found some non-monetary rent accommodation for their non-productive lifestyle. But how did Manson ascend to being the leader? At uh, 34 years old, he was much older than the rest of the group, so it appears that his age was the major reason. Also, some members of the group seemed to be rather transient. Being organized would appear to be against the counterculture of the time. Why don't you go over a little of Manson's life history? I think it would be interesting to know how he ended up as a parolee living hand-to-mouth at a ranch. I'll quote again from the article, The Manson Myth. Quote, the real-life Charles Manson was not some charismatic leader gone bad, but a pathetic figure from the very beginning. He was born in Cincinnati, Ohio on November the 12th, 1934, to an unmarried, impoverished 16-year-old named Kathleen Maddox. The pitiful words, no name Maddox, appeared on his birth certificate. Soon after his birth, his mother married William Manson, who provided the last name now known around the world. The marriage did not last long. In 1939, when Manson was only four years old, his mother went to prison for armed robbery. He was sent to live with relatives. His mother reclaimed him, reclaimed him 
when she was paroled in 1942. Manson grew up self-conscious of his illegitimacy and his mother's criminal record. Fearful of losing yet another man, Manson's mother placed her son in the custody of state when she was 12, when he was 12, sorry. Manson spent his adolescence in various orphans' homes from which he periodically ran away. When on the streets, he would steal, get caught, and then get put into another orphan's home and eventually into reformatory. I think you need to take us into the break, Justina. Yes, before we go into the break, don't forget to go like our Facebook page and comment and share your ideas about today's episode and communicate about your ideas about Charles Manson. But we'll continue getting into more about Charles Manson and the horrific crimes after this short break. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, Dad, you were doing saying a quote from the article, The Manson Myth. Yeah, so I'll can con- you please continue with this quote? Yeah, I'll continue. Uh, quote, he, Manson, grew into adulthood with few of the skills necessary to maintain honest employment. As a young man, he worked at low-paying jobs such as gas station attendant. When he ran into financial problems, he usually ran afoul of the law. For much of his early adult life, he went from prisons to brief paroles. He stole cars, forged checks, and briefly pimped. His final parole prior to his plunge into infamy took place on March the 21st, 1967, unquote. Apparently, he wanted to stay in jail and was released over his own objection. How did he meet up with his group? I'll continue quoting from the same article. The first of his group was Mary Brunner, quote, After his undesired parole, the 32-year-old Manson headed for San Francisco, where he found himself surrounded by hippies, young people who liked fast rock and roll, and who openly passed around marijuana and LSD. Female hippies were often amenable to no-strings-attached sex. Manson enjoyed it all. Having been cooped up for so long, he also liked hitting the road as a hitchhiker. After hitching a ride to Berkeley, he met up with 23-year-old Mary Brunner, a recent graduate of the University of Wisconsin, who had moved to Berkeley and was working as a librarian at the University of California. Manson lacked a place to spend the night and Brunner offered to let him stay at her apartment, unquote. Brunner later became the mother of Manson's son, one of three children fathered with different partners. Who was next? That was Lynette Fromm. Um, he brought her home to Mary Brunner. From known as Squeaky From, had been thrown out by her parents. The two women got along and they all began traveling together as a trio. 
attracting more women to join them. Patricia Krenwinkel and Susan Atkins joined the trio to make five when they settled at the Span Ranch. Squeaky from later got into news for a reason other than hanging around with Manson. Who else were in their group? Others involved included Leslie Van Houten with Leslie a female, Bobby Beausoleil uh, with Bobby a male, Paul Watkins, Linda Kasabian, Steve Grogan, Charles Tex Watson, and Bruce Davis. When and how did the murders start? This started with the murder of Gary Hinman. Who was Gary Hinman besides the person that introduced Manson to Beach Boy, Dennis Wilson? I'll quote from the website Cielo Drive. Quote, Gary Allen Hinman was born in Colorado on, on the Christmas Eve of 1934. He graduated school with a degree in chemistry, but continued at UCLA, where he was near receiving his PhD in sociology. He was remembered as having a kind, gentle soul and for being an intellect. Gary's house in Topanga Canyon was a regular crash pad for anyone needing a place to stay. He befriended the Manson family, often letting members live at his home. Hinman was a talented musician. He worked at a music shop, teaching the bagpipes, piano, trombone, and the drums. Sometime in 1968, he became interested in Nichiren Shoshu Buddhism. In the summer of 1969, Gary was planning a religious pilgrimage to Japan. Unquote. Note that the term Manson family as included in the quote was not used at that time to describe the group. The name was apparently used at the trial for the Benedict Canyon and La Bianca murders. How was Gary Heinemann murdered? I'll quote from Wikipedia. Quote, Member, musician, aspiring actor Bobby Bosley left Span Ranch accompanied by Brenner and group member Susan Atkins to pay a visit to an associated named Gary Allen Hinman at his home in Topanga Canyon, just south of Malibu. Hinman had been friendly with the family and had often allowed members to stay at his home. Both Beausoleil and Brunner had previously with, lived with Hinman for short periods of time, and according to a 1981 interview with Beausoleil, Brunner was close friends with Hinman. Beausoleil was in possession of a knife and a 9mm radon pistol that he had borrowed from, the family, from family member Bruce Davis. On July the 31st, 1969, Hinman was found murdered in his home. His face had been deeply slashed on the left side and he had two stab wounds through the chest. And the words political piggy written and a paw print intended to be symbolic of the Black Panther Party drawn on the wall in, drawn on the wall in his blood. Both of Hinman's vehicles were missing, a Volkswagen van and a Fiat station wagon. On August the 5th, 1969, Beausoleil was found by the California Highway P Patrol asleep in the back of Hinman's Fiat near San Luis Obispo, California. Beausoleil had a sheath knife attached to his belt. Robert Kenneth Bobby Beausoleil was arrested and charged with the murder of Gary Allen Hinman, unquote. What was the motive? Apparently, Manson wanted Hinman to join the group, in doing so, turning over his assets. So it was about taking Hinman's money. Or well, there is a theory that Hinman had supplied Manson with some bad LSD. According to the website, website sorry, CLO Drive, the conflict went on for three days. Apparently, Manson with Bruce Davis arrived after Bosley and the others had started the conflict. Manson struck Hinman with a sword, slicing his left ear and face. Manson and Davis had apparently left in one of Hinman's cars while the others remained until Bosley murdered Hinman. Sources say that Hin Hinman's murder was ordered by Manson. With the Hinman murder, the first in the series of events, I think a timeline from 1969 would be helpful. July 27th, Gary Hinman is murdered. August 9th, the Benedict Canyon murders are committed, including the murder of Sharon Tate, her unborn child, and four other victims. August 10th. Lino LeBanca and his wife, Rosemary, are brutally murdered. August 26. Former stuntman Donald Shea is murdered. October, various dates. Manson and 26 others arrested for car theft. Manson's follower, Susan Atkins, while in custody, talks about the Benedict Canyon and the LeBanca murders 
to other prisoners who informed the authorities. November 18th, Deputy District Attorney Vincent murders. What were the circumstances leading up to the Benedict Canyon murders? Apparently, Manson was snubbed by record producer Terry Melcher, well known for his association with the Beach Boys and other recording artists in the counterculture era. Apparently, having no prospects of a musical, musical career via Melcher enraged Manson. Manson's first victims were to be the occupants of the home on Cielo Drive in Benedict Canyon, thinking that Melcher still lived there. But Melcher had moved out from that address in January 1969, months earlier. A flaw with this scenario is that Manson had opportunities with other producers and recording artists. He apparently was a decent songwriter, but maybe he was just a vindictive person set on some warped kind of revenge. As we had mentioned earlier, the unfortunate occupants of Melcher's former rented home were Roman Polanski and his wife Sharon Tate. Polanski was away in London at the time. Polanski later stated that, during the months following the murders, he suspected various friends and associates. His paranoia only subsided when the killers were arrested. I'm not sure why Polanski would suspect friends or associates, or is, it, or is there a dark side to Hollywood that is not known to the public? But the murders didn't stop. The, following, the day following the Benedict Canyon murders on August 10th, Lino LeBanca and his wife Rosemary were brutally murdered. Apparently, Charles Watson, Patricia Crenwell, and Lisa Van Houten committed the murders under Manson's instructions. Manson stated that he wanted Helter Skelter and was dissatisfied with how the murders were conducted the previous day. Helter Skelter, as defined by Manson, was an upcoming race war to survived by those who hid away from it. He ordered Linda Casabian to cruise Los Angeles neighborhoods looking for victims. Manson settled on the residence close to where Manson and followers had attended a party sometime earlier. Manson's role was to tie up the victims after telling them that they were only being robbed. Apparently, he left the scene before the murders were committed. Inside the kitchen, the words Helter Skelter with Helter misspelled were written in blood in the refrigerator. The words death to pigs were written in blood on a living room wall. The murder of Donald Shea occurred on August the 26th. Shea's remains were not found until 10 years later on the grounds of the Span Ranch. Steve Grogan and Bruce Davis were convicted for the murder, but others could have been involved. Manson apparently decided that Shea needed to be murdered because he thought he was a police informant. Shea, who worked at the Span Ranch, was apparently planning with the owner to remove Manson and his and followers due to their brushes with the law. Has anyone tried to come up with more than one theory for why the murders were committed? A new book by author Neil Saunders, an expert on mind control, has some interesting alternatives. The book is entitled, Now's the Only Thing That's Real, Reexamination of Manson Murders, Motives and Mythos. The corner Sanders, who started writing the book from the angle of mind control, there are four main theories, including Helter Skelter. Let's start with Helter Skelter, which in this case doesn't involve the Beatles track. Helter Skelter, Manson wanting to start a race war, encouraging his family and followers to go out and commit murders. The satanic cult in which Manson was connected to a satanic cult, which was actually behind the murders. The third theory, MK Ultra, in which Manson was mind controlled as an operative to discredit the counterculture of the time. And the fourth theory, the drug deal had gone wrong with essentially Manson being a drug dealer and pimp to individuals in Hollywood and involved with criminality in Hollywood. Why don't you start with discussing the helter-skelter theory, which appears to be accepted by most people. According to author Neil Saunders, the helter-skelter theory doesn't hold up because the helter-skelter race war was not Manson's idea. According to Sanders, there was, not, there was much more going, in Holly, going on in Hollywood that Manson may have been involved in. It is claimed in Saunders' book that pornographic movies, including Hollywood notables as subjects, were attempted to have been sold after being seized from the crime scene of the Polanski's home. Apparently, Manson himself at the time was a pornographic movie maker. If the book is correct, Manson was offered a plea deal by the prosecution as an accessory to murder, along with the threat that he would be painted in the trial as a hippie cult leader who was the mastermind controlling his followers. 
a plea deal would have been for a, an 18-month sentence. As it was, Vincent T. Bugliosi claimed in 2009 that he only got a conviction against Manson because Manson follower Linda Kasabian became a prosecution witness under immunity from prosecution. Could you explain more about the trial, including the Helter Skelter? In the best-selling book, Helter Skelter, as we mentioned, co-written by prosecutor Vincent Bugliosi, the prosecution portrayed Manson as the leader of his family over which Manson had complete control. Possibly in the eyes of the jury, that approach would make Manson not just an accessory to murder, but a murderer in his own right. It seems as if the prosecution thought up the term Manson family. It didn't seem to be used before the trial. Possibly the brutal murders included in prominent people would somehow stir up racial hatred. But the idea of helter-skelter involving a race war, which was attributed to Manson, was not new. Helter-skelter was put forward 20 years earlier in California by an individual named Krishna Venter, who apparently thought there was going to be a race war. Venter believed that he and his followers should go off into the desert and hide out until the end of the race war and then come back and take over the world. We'll have to continue talking about the different theories, including the helter-skelter theory, after this short break. And don't forget to go like our Facebook page. Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we are going through the possible different theories for the Manson murders, including the helter-skelter theory. But I'm a little confused about this theory. There's the Beatles song and the term used by Christian Venta. What was Manson influenced by? One or both helter-skelters? He was clear that the Beatles song in his warped mind had a subliminal message. I'm confused also, but I think the Beatles associated with Manson than the irrational ideas of Krishna Venter. What about the satanic cult theory? The satanic cult theory largely arose following a press release by the Church of Scientology. It stated that Manson had nothing to do with Scientology while pointing the finger at a group who had been an offshoot of Scientology, claiming that the group was satanic. There doesn't seem to be much other background than that except there is the allegation that the word of a satanic cult, sorry, that word of a satanic cult was allegedly leaked from the trial, adding to the fear associated with Manson's image. It did appear in court with an, uh, he, sorry, Manson did appear in court with an X carved in his, into his forehead. Apparently this signified that he was beyond the human race. Later a swastika was carved into his forehead as, as a racist gesture. 
when Manson carved the X on his forehead, uh, female co-defendants Susan Atkins, Leslie Van Houten and Patricia Krenwinkel copied him and carved X's into their foreheads. Generally, the defendant's behavior during the trial was disrespectful to the victims and to the court, with LSD alleged to have been supplied to one or more of them. What about the MK Ultra mind control theory? The counter to that theory is that if there had been mind control uh, uh, by MK Ultra, the investigation trial would have been tidier and more efficient. MK Ultra would have implied some kind of conspiracy. The seven-month-long trial apparently involved missteps and miswitnesses. If there had been a major conspiracy, loose ends would have been expected to have been tied up. That only leaves the theory that Manson was a drug dealer and a pimp motivated by a drug deal gone wrong. Apparently, Manson had been a pimp in Hollywood in the 1950s. Is there any background other than Manson's criminal history? Apparently, in certain locations associated with Hollywood at certain addresses, there were on, <coughs> excuse me, there were ongoing par- parties with apparently young people being recruited off the streets to join in. The recruits were drugged and pornographic movies made with them as subjects. Given that drugs were being used, somebody had to supply them. But there is nothing to suggest that anything untoward was happening in the Polanski's residence or at the LeBianca Le home. Cielo Drive was chosen because Manson thought that Terry Melcher lived there. Lino LeBianca Le was a grocery store owner and Rosemary LeBianca was a successful businesswoman. Not exactly the types expected to be looking for hard drugs. Remember Roman Palazzi's paranoia after the murders in his home on Cielo Drive in Benedict Canyon? He thought the people he knew in Hollywood may have been behind the murders. Possibly the idea behind the drug deal gone wrong theory was that somebody other than Manson was pulling the strings. Polanski must have had some basis for his paranoia. What was the outcome of the Benedict Canyon and the LaBanca murder trial? In 1971, Manson, Charles Watson, Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkel and Leslie Van Houten were all convicted and sentenced to death. Later, Manson was also convicted for the murders of Gary Hinman and Donald Shea. The sentences were commuted to life in prison in 1972 when a death penalty was abolished in California. Everyone on death row was resentenced to life in prison, but that entitled them to parole as there was no life in prison without parole at the time. That's why there have been parole hearings, which seems strange in the circumstances. On September the 6th, 2017, Leslie Van Houten was granted parole by the parole board, but is, that is currently under review by California Governor Jerry Brand. Governor Brand had previously denied Van Houten's parole in 2016. I don't think that any governor of California is going to grant parole. What happened to the others? Susan Atkins died in prison in 2009. Uh, the rest are in jail ex- except Steve Grogan, who was freed in ni- 1985 after helping authorities find Donald Shea's remains on the Span Ranch. Squeaky Frum, who was not a defendant but associated herself with the defendants during a trial, including carving an X on her forehead, ended up in jail. She attempted to assassinate President Gerald Ford in 1975. She pulled a pistol on him and was quickly overpowered. She finished her jail sentence in 2009, which included an added sentence for an escape with the intention of meeting up with Manson. She has stayed loyal to Manson. Let's give the last word to Deborah Tate, Sharon Tate's sister. This quote is from an ABC News interview soon after Manson's death. And I quote, people are saying that this should be some kind of relief, but oddly enough, it really isn't. Well, Charlie may be gone, it's the ones that are still alive that perpetrate everything. And it was up to their imaginations for what brutal things were going to be done. In an odd way, I see them as much more dangerous individuals, end quote. Dad, why don't you ask the first question? Was the premonition experienced by Doris Tate intended to prepare her for the murder of her daughter, Sharon, and her unborn grandchild? Yes. Did Sharon Tate speak to her mother when she was close to the casket at Sharon's funeral? Yes. Is there anything more you can say about Sharon speaking to her mother? Were they particularly close? 
Yes and no. It really depends on the death, and especially in tragic cases such as murder. The souls are more, you can say, want to be more communicative and talk to the loved ones they left behind. So a lot of the times in very tragic cases, that's when the souls really want to step forward and give a message to their loved ones, since they know how difficult it is. And during funerals, the body is actually, when the body is actually buried, it is usually a time where a lot of different souls will actually try to come forward, obviously in their spirit form, and try to give messages to their loved ones in different ways. What was the well-known Hollywood actor doing at the Polanski's home after the murders under the pretext of helping to clean up the house? He was there for other reasons, so he was there to talk to some of the people also. Why was the summer of 1969 so eventful, including the moon landings, Woodstock, the escalation of the Vietnam War, and civil, arrest in, uh, civil unrest in Northern Ireland? Basically, it was just a very energetic time for people. So it is full of new discoveries and basically new beginnings. So at that time, everything, especially with Woodstock, the energies were different and people were trying to come together. Were there any negative effects associated with the movie Rosemary's Baby? Not direct negative effects, no. Was John Lennon's assassination outside the apartment building used for the movie just a coincidence? Yes, it was a coincidence. While at the Span Ranch, did Manson and his followers survive on food scavenged from dumpsters? Yes. How did Manson become leader of his followers? Was it because he was older and a more hardened criminal? So the problem is that Manson knew how to prey on people who are weaker than him. So he knew what type of personalities to look for and what type of people would be good so-called followers of him. So he was actually not very intelligent, but very manipulating about who he chose to join his so-called family. Why were the young women drawn into a life of crime? Was it too much LSD or did Manson have some kind of hold over them? Both. So drugs were involved. But it was also that Manson did have a hold over them. So it was the fact that someone more powerful, someone who took them under his wing, was not only going to take care of them, but in return, they did what he said to do. Was Manson just a drug dealer and a pimp with some songwriting ability, or did he have some kind of ma magnetism that attracted others to him? So the problem is with people such as him and other very negative people, who try to coerce people into following them, they have this power. So it's really not magnetism, but more their personality where they act like they're trusting. They will take care of the person, and they possess these qualities, almost such as a psychopath would possess these qualities. So basically it's a draw and preying on people that are weaker. Weaker people have different psychological issues that drew them to Manson. Why did Mary Brunner, a, a librarian at the University of California, take in a drifter like Manson? Basically because of his manipulation techniques and that she felt bad for him. Why was Squeaky From so dedicated to Manson? Again, this manipulation and trying to follow someone who is more powerful. What attracted the male members to Manson's group besides the young women? More of having that male figure and wanting to be a follower instead of the leader. So in their minds, it was easier to follow someone than they try, than try to have their own paths. Why would Gary Hinman, a graduate student working towards a PhD, offer hospitality to Manson and his family? Again, the manipulation. And so Manson was very manipulating in the way he spoke and in his ideals. So it goes back to when someone has a belief system and others share that belief system. So he was very convincing about his beliefs. How did Gary Himmon get to know Beach Boy Dennis Wilson besides being a talented musician? They shared a lot of similar beliefs. So basically connecting over their belief systems and also through the music. So the thing is that music connects people in different ways that a lot of other hobbies don't. So when two people come together and they have similar tastes in music, there's that instant connection. So with them, it was an instant connection where they found they had a lot in common. What was the motive for the murder of Gary Hinman? Basically just to get rid of him, and he was an easy target. Was it a drill, drug deal gone wrong? There were drugs involved, but that was not the main motive, no. 
So they just got tired of, or, of him or became a nuisance. Is is that why they got rid of him? And they knew the murder was going to be easy, yes. Why didn't Manson's followers question why Manson wasn't at the scene when murders were committed while apparently have, uh, having ordered them? So again, you have to think of this as any cult following or any figures that lead a bunch of people into a bad situation where there's a leader and the followers. And a lot of times the leader will give the orders and the followers follow. So in their minds, they were doing what was right for the leader. And this is a problem, especially with people who are followers instead of leaders, is that they don't think for themselves. So even obviously intelligent people can be manipulated when they become followers and don't want to be the leader. So it was more the psychological aspect where they were manipulated into thinking that they were doing the right thing for their leader at the time. And in response, they would get positive benefits from their leader. Why did Manson have such murderous intentions? Basically because of his personality and how he liked the control aspect. Why did his followers follow his instructions knowing that the death penalty was a distinct possibility? Again, the psychological manipulation. Was the term family coined at the trial by the prosecution and not used by Manson to describe his group of followers? Yes, that was more of a media interpretation than really what Manson used. For the Benedict Canyon murders, was a major motive that Manson had been snubbed by record producer Terry Melcher, with Manson thinking that Melcher still lived on Cielo Drive? Yes, that is correct. Uh, I don't think we got time for another question before the break, Justina. Do you want to take us into the break? Yes. After this break, we'll continue with the questions and the psychic insight. And don't forget to go like us on Facebook and share any comments you have about today's show and suggest any new topics. So we'll continue after this short break. is under ever-increasing pressure from untenable lifestyles and growing populations. Yet, viable answers seem in short supply. What if I told you there's an ancient form that can empower you to take charge of your life? What if your entire family could be enfolded and supported by life itself, finding safe passage through challenging times? I'm Gwilda Wiecka, founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Arts School with Great News, an upcoming series of leading-edge online affordable classes based in an ancient form of shamanism easily learned and used by your entire family. Galactic Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow are a series of online adult and children's lessons instructing your entire family on natural law, how to cooperate with and be supported by the powers of the universe. Visit findyourpathhome.com to find these unique and powerful classes. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7, 365. 
Welcome back to Too Good To Be True. And before the break, we're going through the questions and the psychic insight about Charles Manson. So, Dad, can you please continue with the questions? Sure. Why did Roman Polanski suspect various friends and associates for the Benedict Canyon murders, including his wife and their unborn child? So the thing is, in Hollywood, especially in past times, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes things going on. So there's a lot of different behind-the-scenes deals, including exchanges of money, exchanges of property. So especially at this time, a lot of people were in guard for what was going on around them because they knew there was shady behavior. And with these murders, let's just say there were other people in Hollywood that would have done the same thing if they would have had the chance. What was the motive behind the Le Bianca killings? Basically, again, easy targets. So the thing is, they go after targets that are so-called easy in their minds. And the thing is, is that the killers don't think logically, but more in terms of what they think is easy. So to the everyday public, it might not seem like an easy crime, but to them, they already have had the plan thought out to make their crime easy in their minds. Why was Helter's... Basically, to go back to the music, and there was a lot of music involved, and I guess you could call it the family, but more of the cult. Why was the word pig written in blood at the Benedict Canyon crime scene without Helter Skelter being written? Basically, just the orders they were following. So in Manson's twisted mind, that's what he ordered, and that's what was actually carried out. So what was written was under specific orders from Manson? Correct. Was the murder of Donald Shea ordered by Manson because he believed that Shea was a police informant? Yes and no. There were also some other beliefs he had about him. And he was worried he was going to expose a lot of what Manson was actually doing. What's the use of LSD a factor in turning the minds of Manson and his followers towards a total disrespect of humanity and of human life? Yes. Does the Helter Skelter theory as described by author Neil Saunders have any merit? Not exactly, no. Were pornographic movies stolen from the Benedict Canyon crime scene? Yes. Did those pornographic movies include Hollywood notables? Yes. Were an individual or individuals trying to sell the pornographic movies stolen from the Benedict Canyon crime scene? Yes, that happens all the time, especially in Hollywood. Was Manson a pornographic movie maker? In a way, yes. Not in the way you think of it, more in a twisted way. Did the prosecution offer Manson a plea deal as an accessory to murder? Yes. Did the prosecution at the trial create the idea of Manson as a hippie cult leader who was a mastermind controlling his family? That was not the work of the prosecution. It was based on what evidence they had. So the prosecution, prosecution called it the family rather than the followers? And made it more of a medium storm. They needed to. The thing is, especially with bad murders and bad situations like this, they twist, tried to twist a few of the details. So it makes it more popular in the media. Was Manson truly influenced by the Beatles track Helter Skelter from the White Album? In his sick mind, yes. But that music had no effect, really. So in his mind, he blamed a lot of other influences for his behavior. But the Beatles and the track had no actual influence on him. Did Manson just borrow the idea of Helter Skelter from Krishna Venta? Partially, yes. For Helter Skelter, was there any connection between the Beatles song and the ideas of Krishna Venta? Vaguely, yes, but not directly, no. Does the satanic cult theory as described by author Neil Saunders have any merit? It is not 100% accurate, but close, yes. So Manson was a Satanist? Manson did a lot of very negative things that could be described as something that Satan worshippers would perform, yes. Did the X carved into the foreheads by Manson and his female followers have any basis in Satanism? Yes. Why did Manson carve a swastika into his forehead? Because of his belief system. So he had a very upsetting belief system. Was the idea of the satanic cult leaked from the trial? There were theories from professionals, yes. They're not exactly leaked, but the professionals, especially the psychologists, 
the people who specialize in Satanism did have their own theories. Were the defendants supplied with LSD during the trial? No. Does the MK Ultra mind control theory, as described by author Neil Saunders, have any merit? So MK Ultra was obviously used and did exist, but in this case, it was not MK Ultra that was responsible. Does the Manson drug dealer and pimp theory, as described by author Neil Saunders, have any merit? There's more to it. He wasn't just obviously a drug dealer and a pimp, but a lot more than that. So that goes to Manson having a twisted psychology and Satanist beliefs. Correct. Were any of the murders directly or indirectly associated with a drug deal gone wrong? Not really drug deals gone wrong, no. Manson had other ways to get his drugs. Were there Hollywood parties involving recruiting young people off the streets to be drugged in order to be subjects in pornographic movies? Yes. Had that anything to do with Manson? No, Manson did way more extreme things than the other Hollywood people were doing. Were any of the convicted remorseful for their crimes, with some being model prisoners, with some apparently working for others? They did feel remorse, but the problem with that is the question that remains. Can remorse really make up for their crimes? And at the end of the day, the people that they murdered cannot be brought back. Did Squeaky Fromm really believe she could assassinate President Gerald Ford, or was she pulling the pistol on him for other reasons? She did really believe it. What can we learn from the series of murders in 1969 that could help humanity? Basically, there needs to be awareness of mental health. There are sociopaths, psychopaths, and people who are very mentally ill, even walking around in the public right now. So these people do need help. And as you can see by all the different attacks, especially happening lately, is that there are some very sick individuals that do need extra help. And also there's a lot of different people who are followers. So they have had a bad situation or have experienced something that basically leads them to follow supposed leaders. And these leaders get their control. So there needs to be awareness of mental illness when these people are actually at a younger age and catch these different tendencies and the signs at a younger age before they actually start getting a following and before they actually start physically committing these murders. So mental health is something that needs to be brought up even when children are in school and obviously throughout their adolescence and into adulthood. And a lot of different situations could be done differently if the individuals get the mental health they do need. Was Manson insane or evil or both? Both. So someone can be mentally insane and not commit any crimes. But it takes someone truly evil within themselves to be able to go and get followers and do the things that Manson did. So it's a combination of that, since some people have mental breaks and they never hurt anyone. That was the final answer. I have to ask, is improved mental health care something that can prevent the murder of innocent victims by the criminally insane too good to be true? That depends on what you are prepared to believe. Well, this is the first show where I don't think there's any there's been any real surprises. Um, Manson was a criminally insane, controlling individual and a Satanist. I'm really struggling to find anything positive to take from this episode, only the possibility of prevention. Psychology and mental health are subjects I know absolutely nothing about. But if society doesn't deal with mental health issue, issues, obviously there can be tragic consequences. <laughs> Well, I think this relates to a topic that's been in the news a lot about the different mass shootings, mass murders, and unfortunate events that have been happening all around the world, where a lot of these people, and I'm not saying in every single case, I'm not saying I'm making a generalization statement, but in certain cases, there could have been different prevention. So sometimes there's signs in someone's childhood, signs of different crimes they've committed, where there could be someone stepping in saying, hey, let's provide some type of help, let's provide some type of intervention in a mental health way. So I think that's kind of the takeaway here is that mental health is something that's not always brought up, where physical health is always brought up. So everyone goes to the doctor, goes and gets a checkup, gets a physical exam, make sure your body's healthy, but not everyone goes and sees if, quote, their mind is healthy. So I think that's a takeaway kind of from the show. 
Yeah, I think another takeaway is Deborah Tate. And I think that uh, she said, I, I can't remember exact words, but uh, these people weren't devils or supernatural. They're just nasty little creeps. And um, I don't know, I think uh, Deborah Tate got it right. Well, and I think one other um, comment I want to mention about the show is that in a lot of cases, when there's murders, we refer to whoever committed the murders. So obviously in this case, we focus more on Charles Manson, but we also wanted to mention the victims, since the story really is about the victims and making sure we get the victims' names out there. So instead of hearing about Charles Manson, as a society, we could change it where we focus on the victims and trying to comfort the victims' families instead of giving more attention to the killers. Yeah, I think that's a, that was a tragedy we mentioned, that uh, everybody knows about Charles Manson, but they didn't necessarily know about many of the victims. Anyway, why don't you talk about our Facebook page, Justina? Yes, so if you have any comments about today's show and you want to go interact with us, you can go to our Facebook page at Too Good To Be True, with the first two spelled T-W-O. You can like our page, follow us, and we'd love to have suggestions for future shows. So if anyone's interested in this kind of genre of murders, killers, this type of suggestion, we'd love to hear from you. And of course, thank you to all the listeners for listening to today's show.